The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Now we'd like to open God's holy word, open your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Haggai. I know some of you may have some trouble finding Haggai, it's one of those little books that's near the end of the Old Testament. There are only two chapters, and in my Bible, it's only two pages. So it's a little bit hard to find unless you know exactly where you're going. So let me help you just a little bit with that. We'll start at the end of the Old Testament at Malachi. Go backwards towards the front. Next is Zechariah, and then you'll find Haggai. And this is a little obscure book that has a wonderful prophecy and over the years chapter 2 in this book has been one of my favorite scriptures I have preached from this text twice before once was about 20 years ago and then again 12 years ago and if you have a memory like an elephant and you can remember those two sermons don't tune this one out because it won't be exactly like those two but I thought about this text because of the long interval we've had not being able to meet uh, together as the church. The social distancing order has kept it apart and, uh, us apart. And since Christianity is a highly social religion requiring fellowship to strengthen our faith, I believe that we're feeling the, the weakness of our absence and strains and disappointments of being away from our church family. A couple of weeks ago, my wife participated in the ladies' book club. They couldn't meet in person, and so they set up a virtual meeting where they could see each other and talk about the books they'd read. Uh, I was in the room for only a few minutes while they were talking, and I was pleased to hear the ladies express their grief that they couldn't be together. We've been ordered not to get too close to each other, not to touch each other, and so I, I have wondered what the first Sunday back after all of this is over will be like. I wonder how much touching there will be. How many hugs will there be? How much joy and gladness that we are back together? And I suppose perhaps there will be many hugs, perhaps tears and much interest about how people have handled their seclusion and being locked away in their homes. And as I was thinking about this, this text in Haggai came to mind. And so I'd like for you to turn to Haggai chapter 2, and we'll read a few verses, and then I'll fill you in with some background that will show you why I thought of this text. So in Haggai chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse number 1, the prophet says, In the seventh month, in the one and twentieth day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, 
So my spirit reigneth, uh, remaineth among you, fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Now let me say first that this text is about Jesus. Haggai is about Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus. The Bible is about Jesus. Our salvation is about Jesus. Our church is about Jesus. And so everything that we are is about Jesus. We miss each other and we want to be with each other because we are united in Jesus. Jesus is the lifeblood of the church. His royal blood flows through our veins and that makes us brothers and sisters in him. Oh, in this text that was written 500 years before Jesus was born, we find Jesus. In this text, there is a prophecy of his glorious appearance on this earth. We learn that he existed before the manger. In this text, he is called the Lord of hosts. He is the Lord of angels. He is the creator. He is the owner. And he is the one who fulfills all covenant promises that he made with his people. He was in Egypt when Moses led the children of Israel out of bondage. He met with Moses at the burning bush and told him that he would deliver his people. And when Moses asked, God, what is your name? God said, I am that I am. And how many times did Jesus say, I am? Before Abraham was, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the light of the world. And each of those statements when Jesus said, I am, is the same thing as saying, I am Lord. He says, I am Jehovah. I am the Lord of hosts. Now in this text, we see Jesus. There's a precious description of him in verse number 7. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The desire of all nations shall come. I love that description. Jesus is the desire of all nations. He is the desire of all who recognize and understand who he is. One of my favorite writers and preachers is the Puritan John Flavel. He lived in the 17th century. And among all of his collections of sermons, there are two that are my favorites. These are the method of grace and the fountain of life. Now, the first of those, the method of grace, is about the work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration. And the second, the fountain of life, is about the work of Christ in redemption. And in the method of grace, John Flavel ended many of his sermons with this sentence, Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. Now, those of you that uh, come here to Berean and you are familiar with this, at the end of each of the tabernacle sermons in that study... I use this sentence, blessed be God for Jesus Christ, because the tabernacle is all about Jesus Christ. Flavel marveled 
at the magnificence of Christ. And so in the method of grace, he said that, that, that phrase so many times, blessed be God for Jesus Christ. Well, in his, uh, his collection of sermons, the method of grace, he also has a sermon on this text that he titled, Christ, the Desire of All Nations. And I thought of this text during this social ban, and you'll understand the reason uh, for this as I relate some of the background of Haggai. We are away from church. We're looking forward to the return of the church where we can gather again as God's people. And in this text, the Jews had returned to their homeland after they had been scattered from God. They recently had returned from captivity in Babylon for after 70 years. They were 70 years away from home and 70 years away from the worship of Jehovah God at the temple. I can't imagine what it must have been like not, not to enjoy the worship of the temple and be able to come together to the temple after so many years. I mean, I, I'm having trouble being away from church for two months. But in Haggai, the people have now returned. They're ready to resume worship in a newly constructed replacement temple for the one that was destroyed years earlier. The magnificent temple that Solomon built was destroyed in 586 BC. The Babylonians came and conquered the southern kingdom of Judah and they destroyed the city walls and they destroyed the temple and all the beautiful furnishings of the temple, the vessels of gold, all of that was carried away. In chapter 1, Haggai chastised the returnees who came back to rebuild the temple because instead of finishing the work that God gave them to do, they decided that they would build their own houses first. Their priorities were off, their desires were off, they were thinking of them and not of the great God who had delivered them from their captors and brought them back into the land. Well, the second chapter begins about a month after the second temple was completed. And at this time, the people were discouraged because this temple they had just built was nothing in comparison to the beauty of the first structure that Solomon built. Now, in verse number three, the despair of the people is seen as it is it's asked, who is left among you who saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Now, the people were living in poverty. They had no resources. And so it was impossible for them to put back the vessels of gold and all the ornate furnishings and use the magnificent materials that Solomon used when the first temple was built. And so in their despair, in their sadness, Haggai gave them the word of the Lord. And God told them that there was a better temple that was coming. Another temple would be built in a later day. And he assured the people that this new temple would surpass any temple that had been built before, even the one that Solomon built. Well, Haggai was looking beyond the first advent of Christ. And he was looking all the way to the second coming when Christ will come and rule and reign in Jerusalem in the millennial kingdom. Now let me just briefly comment by comparison. I know that there is much fear about what our country will be like when this ban is over. I mentioned when we come back, maybe there will be uh, hugging, maybe we'll hug each other. But there are some who say that the customs of the church must change because of 
what we've gone through, things need to change. We won't be able to touch each other. We won't be able to hug. We won't shake hands. Our personal interactions will be different. And shame on us if we would try to uh, restart the holy kiss of the New Testament. So some are concerned about things like this. And they're concerned that our economy will be so different that we might not be able to do church in the way that we used to. Our funds will be limited. Our missionaries will suffer. Our ministries and ministers will suffer. And church will look much different and we will be despondent. Israel looked at their temple and said, this just won't cut it. We remember what things were like. We remember what it was before. We can't be satisfied with what we have now. But then the word of the Lord came to them with this great promise that the focus must not be on them. The focus must not be on the poor replica of Solomon's temple because the real temple is Jesus Christ himself. God said the desire of all nations will come and he will fill this house with his glory. Oh yes, the real temple is Jesus Christ. I said the Bible is about Christ. The Old Testament is about Christ. The temple is about Christ and the church is about Christ. Now if you'll listen again to this description of heaven that we read a few minutes ago from Revelation 21. In Revelation 21 verse 22, And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it. Well, doesn't that sound like our text? God said the desire of all nations will come. Jesus shall come and he will fill this house with his glory. Heaven is filled with the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is the light of that city. The Lamb is the light of it. He is the glorious temple in the new Jerusalem. And do you know that the scripture says that today the church gives glory to Christ, that it is the church that reflects the glory of Christ. Ephesians 3.21, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. No, I don't know what our church will look like after this is over. Perhaps we'll barely notice a change, and whatever changes there are may soon fade away, and then we'll go back to what we did before. But in some ways, I hope that isn't true because I hope we now have an increased awareness of how precious the fellowship of the church is. We can't do without church. Real Christians can't dismiss the church because this is the place of God's glory in this present age. I mean, what Christian would want to be without Christ's glory in his life? But there are some of our people who don't care very much about church. Oh, with their lips they say they do. But do you remember what Jesus said about religious hypocrites? With their lips, he said they honor him, but their heart is far from him. I'm just foolish enough to believe what Jesus said. He said, by their fruits, you will know them. Are they here when we have church? Well, that tells you how much they love the Lord's church. Their own personal self-imposed social ban won't make their church life look very much different when this is over. But the desire of nations will come. 
And when he comes, they will miss him. When the Holy Spirit visits our church through the singing of the praises to the Lord our God, and when he is here in the prayers to the Almighty who has the power to energize the church, when sermons are preached, and through the preaching the saints of God are built in their faith, they'll miss it. They'll miss the desire of nations because they're not here. Well, these were my thoughts that brought me to this text. What was it like for God's people to be so far long away from Jerusalem and from the temple? And then what was it like for them to come back together as God's people? But I would like to move on because I want to focus on Christ, not on us. And let me clarify that. When we talk about the church, we are speaking of Christ. And let me qualify what I'm saying that I want to talk about the head of the church who is the one desire above all desires. Now I have two main topics for our discussion. The first is the corporate reasons to desire Christ. And the second is the correct response to our desire for Christ. So let's proceed into the message and think about first the corporate reasons to desire Christ. Now in verse number three, there are three questions that are asked. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? The second question, how do you see it now? And question three, is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? The despair of these people was centered in the longing for the first temple that far surpassed the beauty of the one they just built. The next verses are encouragement that whatever this temple was lacking would be more than made up for beyond what they could hope when Jesus comes back. Now the replacement would reflect the beauty and the majesty of Christ himself. Well, I think there are too many times when we as Christians are tempted to do exactly what these Jews did. We look at the outward, we look at the external, and we're dazzled by expensive items rather than the desire for what most honors and glorifies God. Now, I am thankful that we have this nice building where we can meet to worship. Many churches in our area can't afford to build a church building, and so they meet in warehouses and, and in storefronts and in homes. But did you know that doesn't diminish the value of worship? The building is nice, but it's not critical for our worship. This building can't create worship. Fancy fixtures and golden chandeliers and church buildings are nice, but the building can be empty and hollow and useless if the Holy Spirit of God does not inhabit the place. The critical factor for worship is not the building, but we are now starkly familiar with the critical factor, aren't we? We've learned that after weeks of being away from each other, that the critical factor is not the building, it's us. It's the fellowship of God's people because the fellowship of believers is the church. Well, does it help you to know that we have this nice, beautiful building that's sitting on this corner and it's empty? Is that your comfort and joy, just the fact that we have a building? Well, of course not. It's the meeting. It's the gathering. It's the people. And no matter where we meet, if the Holy Spirit is with us, our worship is valid. And when he's not there, it's vain. We can have everything as beautiful and as nice as money can buy, but what money can't buy is a church where the Holy Spirit meets with his people. 
And I'll take that any day of the week over the fanciest building that can be built. Now the blessed hope of all who know Christ is not the building, but the hope that the desire of all nations will come. The Bible calls it the blessed hope. One day Jesus, the desire of all God's people in all kingdoms and in all nations will come. And he will set his feet upon this earth again and all eyes will be drawn to him. The scripture says every eye shall see him. That's the blessed hope that we desire to see. I know sometimes we think that we're the last ones that are holding on to the truth. There is so much wickedness and there is so much evil around us. So many churches have abandoned the faith that we think we're all there is. But God's word assures us that he redeems people out of every kindred, every tribe and nation, rich and poor, kings and paupers, black and white, yellow and red. God has his people from all walks of life. Thank God that millions are waiting for the desire of all nations. So what are the reasons we desire him? I think first we desire him for his remedy. Jesus is the answer for our problems. Jesus is the cure for the curse that's been placed upon the entire world because of the fall of Adam. Now that of course means that he is the cure for COVID-19 because COVID-19 came from sin. Jesus is the one who was appointed by God from the foundation of the world to take care of sin. And he's not the answer for the sin problem for, for only the Jews that we read about here in the Old Testament. Now, I, I don't know if people in Haggai's time fully realized what God meant when he called him the desire of all nations. I mean, after they saw what Babylon did to them, after that captivity, after their temple was torn down, the walls of Jerusalem torn down, I'm sure that they thought, no, the Messiah can't be the Savior of Gentiles too. But he's the Savior of the Babylonians. He is the Savior of the Romans and of the Greeks and whoever else were the traditional enemies of God's people. Christ came to save them too. So that the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 2 verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins. And he means the sins of the Jews, the Jewish people, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That is for all nations of the world, for all the Gentiles too. But when Christ came, and when he and the apostles taught salvation of the world, the Jews were aghast at such a proposition. They couldn't imagine the Messiah would be the Savior of all people. I mean, even Peter, who was in the inner circle of Jesus' disciples, couldn't imagine such a thing. You remember how God shook him up? That God turned his thinking upside down with a vision? Now, I don't have time to relate that whole story, but God showed him a vision where all kinds of birds and animals and reptiles were let down from heaven in a huge sheet. Peter, being a Jew, was under the strict dietary laws of the Jews. He could only eat certain things. But the voice in this vision told him to get up and kill the animals and eat them. But these animals were unclean. Jews weren't supposed to eat these forbidden animals. And so Peter said, I can't do it. I can't eat anything that's unclean and then the voice said if God has cleansed it don't say that it's unclean 
And that vision was a metaphor that God would save people from all nations, not just the Jews. Now, a great reason to desire Christ is that he is the remedy for the sins of all people. And he's the only one who can take away sin. In his commission, he told the disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Those that believe will be saved. All the world, everybody, preach it freely to everyone because he is the desire of all nations. So why do we desire Christ? Well, first we desire him for his remedy. He is the remedy for sin. Next, why do we desire him? Well, we desire him for his satisfaction. Now, I could say that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy your soul, and that would be true. Oh, there's a great old song written years ago that says, I am satisfied, I am satisfied, I am satisfied with Jesus. But the question comes to me as I think of Calvary, is my master satisfied with me? Well, yes, I am satisfied with Jesus. But I want to talk about satisfaction in another way, that Jesus is the only one who can satisfy God. He is the only one who can satisfy God's justice. We just read where the Apostle John said he is the propitiation for our sins. He is the satisfaction for those sins. Now we're going to talk about it a little bit more in just a few minutes. But the Bible teaches that we are, all of us are sinners. The scripture says in Ecclesiastes, there is not a just man on the earth that does good and doesn't sin. Every morning when you see the sunrise... You're convinced, though, there's enough power in the sun to supply all the energy and light that is needed for the whole world. Well, Jesus is the sun. He is the S-O-N. He is the sun of righteousness. And in him, there is enough righteousness to supply redemption and justification and sanctification and salvation for every person in the world. You take all the sin that has been committed since the beginning of time, take all the murders, take all the thefts and the, and the rapes and the pride, take all of the hatred and all the sins, no matter how atrocious, pile all of them up, and the righteousness of Christ far exceeds it all. The song says, nothing for sin can atone, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Christ is the satisfaction for all who trust him. There is nothing but the blood of Christ that was shed on Calvary that will satisfy God. And I need to warn you that it's blasphemy to propose there is anything else that will satisfy God. There isn't a sacrament. There is no baptism. There, there isn't a rosary. There's no priestly absolution. There is no good thing that you do that will do. Only Christ satisfies God. And anyone who proposes there is another way blasphemes the name of God because he gave Christ to do what you can't do. Now we desire him because we're helpless to satisfy God without him. And so yes, there was much to consider when God said this, when God said the desire of all nations will come. But let me tell you thirdly, that we desire him for separation. Could I tell you another remarkable characteristic of Jesus? That whenever he's preached... There's a uniform effect on those who believe. Atheists and anthropologists can't explain that. Psychiatrists, psychologists can't explain it. Scientists will tell you that religion is superstitious. 
They say people just turn to religion because they lack education. Well, let them explain this. Let these highly educated people explain this. How does the preaching and belief of Christ have a uniform effect on all who hear it and believe it? How is it true that no matter the background, no matter the nation, no matter the culture, no matter what ethnicity, when people trust Christ, the same effect is produced in all of them? What happens to them? Well, the person turns from sin and begins to live in holiness. Now, all who, all who turn from sin agree what sin is, and they agree what holiness is, and they all agree that sin is against the holy God. Godliness is real, and so people begin to separate from their sins, and they separate from the culture around them. They give up their superstitions. They give up idol worship. They give up bad habits. They give up their lustful desires. How does that happen that all have that same effect? And once I, I read a story by James Montgomery Boyce, he was talking about a conference that was attended by Christians that came from many different ethnic backgrounds, many different nationalities. When we go to the Shepherds Conference, this is what we experience. There are people there from all over the world. Well, he said there was a man who was from a tribe in Africa, and he was listening to a man preach at the conference who came from a tribe in South America. Now, they couldn't speak each other's language, so he was listening through an interpreter. And the man from South America was from a tribe that killed, in the past, they had killed missionaries. They were just brutal people. This man had tattoos all over him, had many skin piercings that those tribes use. But then he heard the gospel of Christ and he was saved. Well, the man from Africa was listening to this testimony and suddenly got a smile on his face so that he just couldn't contain himself. He heard this man speak and he recognized that the same thing happened to him. That the same gospel reached his heart. And so he jumped up and he ran to the platform and threw his arms around this man from South America. How does that happen? When these two men were thousands of miles apart, they'd never met each other. Well, that can only happen because Christ is the desire of all nations. My experience is the same as your experience. My experience is just like Jorge from El Salvador. It's like Gabrielle from France. It's like Africans and Chinese and every believing human. Why? Because the scripture says, for there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Jesus is the desire of all nations. He is godliness and separation for all who call on him. He separates us from sin and from sinners. And so every missionary that we send out to many different parts of the world, they reach people with the same gospel, the same one that saved me, the same one that we preach now, the same one for this church, the same one that saved you. And it produces the same effect in all of us. No matter where you come from, there is this common bond in Jesus Christ that binds us to him and to each other. And it's also a bond that separates us from the world. Well, fourthly, let me point out that we desire him as our ruler and sovereign. When Haggai says that he is the desire of all nations, the implication is that his kingdom is a worldwide kingdom. Now, in our myopic view of Sonoma County 
and California, well, there's just a small percentage of people that know Christ. Real Christians are far outnumbered. But when you take the numbers from all over the world, there's this vast multitude in the kingdom. Jesus said, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And so we should take heart that God has his people everywhere in the world. Even where communism and dictatorships and Islam have suppressed the gospel, there are churches in these places that thrive. And so we might think that we are the only ones left. We think that we alone stand for Christ. But remember, the very fact that Christ hasn't returned is a testimony. It's evidence that there are more of his people to be called. This world will not end until the last one of God's elect comes to the realization that they have been ordained by God to eternal life from the foundation of the world. This is what Peter said in 2 Peter 3 verse 9. Now the context of Peter's letter is the second coming of Christ. And he said many will scoff. Many will make fun of this and they'll say where is the promise of his coming? Where is this Jesus who said he was coming back? And then Peter said in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. That is the promise that he is coming back. As some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Well, Peter said Jesus is biding his time. God is waiting. He said God is long-suffering. Now Peter wrote this letter to God's elect. Notice where they are. Are they all in Jerusalem? Are they all in Israel? Are they all in one city or in one country? Well, no. In the first chapter, in 1 Peter, it says they're scattered throughout all the world. And God knows where all of them are. And Jesus will not come back until he has filled up the complement of those who are chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He is their ruler and sovereign. He is the desire of all nations. He says in Isaiah, Look unto me, and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. We desire Christ because he is God. There is no other. There is no other God. He is the desire of all nations, because of our universal condition. We desire him because he alone remedies our universal condition. We're sinners. He is perfectly righteous. And we become perfectly righteous through him. And it doesn't matter whether you're an American, whether you're Russian, Mexican, Kenyan, Vietnamese, Filipino. It doesn't matter. He's the desire of all nations because of our universal condemnation. Our universal condition and our universal condemnation make him our desire. And the only way that we can pass from the condemnation of eternal life to the justification or the condemnation of eternal death to the justification of eternal life is through the desire of nations. Jesus said in John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life that's the exclusivity of Jesus the one desire the desire above all that saves condemned sinners and now finally the correct response to our desire for
for Christ. Just two quick questions that won't take long. The first is, these are our own questions. We read the other questions in the first part. Our questions are, are you enthusiastic about Christ? What's most important to you? Our motto as Americans is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. How do you pursue happiness? Well, if your enthusiasm leads you to put everything in front of Christ, then how would you conclude that Christ is your desire? The Christian motto should be life in Christ, liberty in Christ, and happiness in obedience to Christ. But there are some who want life without the life giver. There's some who want liberty while they're entangled with the same sins that kept them in bondage. And then what about their happiness? They find their happiness in pleasures that lead to death. Now, if your enthusiasm is misplaced on worldly pursuits, if that's, if that's what you talk about, if that's what takes all of your time, if that takes your thoughts and your treasure, then Christ is not your desire. So I encourage you to think about what have you spent your time doing when you can't go to work, when you can't go outside, when you can't go to church? You know, I'm thrilled to hear some say, well, what I've been doing is I'm reading my Bible morning and evenings. I read the Bible more than I ever have. I'm praying. I'm studying. I'm spending time worshiping with my kids. And that'll tell you what you truly desire. Question number two, how effective are you in God's work. Now one who, one who desires Christ and one who is effective can't run hot and cold. Every day is a day of testimony. How many Christians come to church and they're stirred up by a message and as they hear the word of God go out, they, they, they're on fire, they're, they're hot, they're on fire and that lasts for a few days but soon that feeling wears off and then they're as cold as ice until there's another message that falls them out. But you'll never be effective for Christ until you become consistent for Christ. See, true desire for Christ lasts day after day. It goes through the good times and the bad. It sticks and sustains in things like we're experiencing now, like COVID-19. It lasts when facing death. Is it your testimony in these times that you panic like those who live in fear? Or do your friends and your neighbors find reason to inquire about the steadfastness and the calmness of your faith? Now one day Christ will come through the clouds. The ears of every living believer and every dead believer will hear the trumpet call. The eyes of every living believer will be fixed on him. And then the desire of all nations will transform us in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. I don't know if America will be here when Christ comes. We've seen how quickly that nations of people can die. We've seen how the economy of countries can fail in a flash. God has the means to destroy us all. But does it matter if he destroys this nation? The answer to the question is no. The desire of all nations will come. And the scriptures say that he will make a new heaven and a new earth. And there will be a new temple. And there will be perfect peace and righteousness. That is the mantra of his kingdom. Now the people in Haggai's day were disappointed. They were disappointed with this inferior temple that they built. But then they hear the news that the glory of Christ's new house will far surpass in beauty and excellence everything that came before. No one who knows Christ will ever be disappointed in him. 
The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Jesus Christ is the desire of all nations. And to be saved, he must be your greatest desire. He's never going to take second place in the hearts of his people. Is that true of you? Is Christ your greatest desire? We'll see, I think, for many when this pandemic, uh, pandemic is over. Either we will come back and we'll be gathered together as God's people again. Or our real greatest desire will be revealed not to be Christ at all. But what do you say? Is he your greatest desire? Is it blessed be God for Jesus Christ? Is that what you really think of Christ? You don't want to wait until we come back to church to evaluate that. Because I don't know how long it will be. I do know that you need to trust Christ now. The Bible says, always says that the time is now. He might come back before we're allowed to be back in this building. And if that happens, I don't want to be the one who's here in this beautiful auditorium. I don't want to be one who's not with my desire. Blessed be God for Jesus Christ. He is truly the desire of all nations. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together here today in the families or in the homes of people who are listening to what's been said through the message. I ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and help us to determine and seriously think about what truly is our greatest desire. As we're away from church, are we seriously bothered by this? Are we upset by it? Is, is the fellowship of God's people something that we strongly desire? Or are we content just to go day after day and do what we do? And whenever it happens, it happens. And that's good enough for us. And we ought to be praying for this. Because if our desire is our church, if our desire is to meet as God's people, then that is the same as desiring Jesus Christ. Because the church is what gives glory to Jesus Christ. So as we think about our church and how we regard our church has volumes to say about what we think about Christ. And so we can't look at what we are and be disappointed in, 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 the, fact that, um, in the fact that we just can't be together at church, but we want to be together as God's people to worship with one another, to recognize that Christ is that one desire that we have and our fellowship is, is to be united in him as the greatest desire of all of our lives. And that's how we want to live. And we want to give that testimony everywhere that we are. We are God's people. And we desire to be among God's people. And to be separated from this world. And to live in the holiness and righteousness that God requires. Jesus Christ satisfies us. Because he satisfied the Lord God. He satisfied his Father. Oh, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today. Encourage us. We don't know how long it's going to be. Um, from what we hear, it could be much longer than it is. Don't know how long. But Lord, encourage us. Help us to think of that time when we will come back together. And then we'll be able to express together our greatest desire. Bless our people, Lord. Be with us. Speak to those who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior. He is coming. And they do need to recognize that and believe in him today. Lord, help us to believe. In Jesus' name we pray.
Let's sing our final song, God of Grace. Thank you for listening today and for your support of our church in this broadcast. Whether or not we can meet, church work goes on, and we are dependent upon our church body for tithes and offerings. We don't depend on offerings from and tithes from other folks. We, this comes from our church body. So we encourage you to give. Please be faithful in your giving. Tithes and offerings are part of our duty of worship. Uh, we encourage you to contact us if you have any needs or concerns. We're happy to discuss messages or anything that you uh, don't understand about things that have been said. We're happy to discuss those. So if you want to call, talk to your deacons or call me, we'll be happy to talk with you. Well, until we meet again next time, uh, which will most likely be by video because we understand the uh, social ban is going to go on quite a bit longer. So uh, until we meet again, we ask God's blessing to be upon each of you. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you for the time spent together again. Thank you for your word. And what a blessed privilege it is to open the word of God and speak to your people. And we pray that what's been said today will be taken to heart and will draw us all closer to you as we wait until that time that we can come together again. Help us, Lord, be with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.